My friends, today I'm going to try something a little different. Instead of my own material, today I'm going to read from uh, a text called Shikand Gumani Vazar, chapter 8. And I'm just going to get right into it. This is really good stuff. All right. Another proof that a contrary principle exists, that good and evil are observable in the world, and more particularly, insofar as both good and bad conduct are definable as such, as are darkness and light, right knowledge and wrong knowledge, fragrance and stench, life and death, sickness and health, justice and injustice, slavery and freedom, and all other contrary activities which indisputably exist and are visible in the every country and land at all times. For no country or land exists, has ever existed, or will ever exist, in which the name of good and evil and what that name signifies has not existed or does not exist. Nor can any time or place be mentioned in which good and evil change their nature essentially. There are also other contraries whose antagonism is not one of essence, but one of function, species, or nature. Such is the mutual antagonism of things like nature, as for example male and female, things of like nature. The different scents, taste, and colors, the sun, moon, stars, whose dissimilarity is not one of substance, but one of function, nature, and constitution, each being adap uh, adapted to its own particular work. But the dissimilarity of good and evil, light and darkness, and other contrary substances is not one of function, but one of substance. This can be seen from the fact that their natures cannot combine and are mutually destructive. For where there is good, there cannot possibly be evil. Where light is admitted, darkness is driven away. Similarly, with other contraries, the fact that they cannot combine and are mutually destructive is caused by their dissimilarity in substance. The substance, dissimilarity, and mutual destructiveness is observable in the phenomena in the material world. The material world is the effect of the spiritual, and the spiritual is its cause. For the effect is understood through the cause. That the former gives testimony of the latter is obvious to any expert in these matters. That the material is an effect and the spiritual, the cause, can be proved by the fact that every visible and tangible thing emerges from an unmanifest to a manifest state. This is perfectly clear. Thus man and all other visible and tangible creatures are known to proceed from the spiritual world, which is invisible and intangible. So too the mass, shape, length, and breadth of a man are those of his parent. The body of a man and other creatures is a manifestation which derived from the unmanifest and invisible thing which is in the seed of their fathers. And the seed itself which was in the father's loins becomes manifest, visible, and tangible. So we must know with a necessary knowledge that this visible and tangible material world was created from an invisible, intangible spiritual world and had its origin there. Similarly, there can be no doubt that the visible and tangible material world indicates the existence of an invisible and intangible world, which is spiritual. Since we have seen that in the material world, contrary substances exist, and that they are sometimes mutually cooperative and sometimes mutually destructive, so must it be also in the spiritual world. 
which is the cause of the material, and material things are its effects. That this is so is not open to doubt, and follows from the very nature of contrary substances. I have shown above that the reason and occasion for the wise activity of the Creator, which is exemplified in the creative act, is the existence of an adversary. For it is known that activity proceeds from an agent in two ways. It is either voluntary or natural. The voluntary is of three kinds. Two kinds are attributable to knowledge, to knowing and wise agents. That is, either actions aimed at appropriating what is advantageous and good, or actions aimed at repelling and warding off what, what is disadvantageous and harmful, and which comes from an external source. One kind is attributable to agents of perverted intellect who are without real knowledge. Such actions are haphazard and irrational. Actions proceeding from knowing and wise persons cannot be irrational or unmotivated. Since the wise, omniscient, and omnipotent Creator is self-sufficing, His perfection consists in His having no need for an advantage or increase which He might desire from outside. So we must conclude that the reason and the occasion for His actions, talking about creation, must all be of one kind, namely to repel and ward off whatever damage might accrue to Him from an external adversary who could harm Him. And this is the whole reason and occasion for the act of creation. This too must be considered that the wise creator desires only what is good. And his will is wholly good. And his activity is creative and in accordance with his will. And the will of a wise one who wills only what is good can only achieve its full fruition by destroying and annihilating evil. For so long as evil is not annihilated, he whose will is good has not perfectly fulfilled what he wills. Therefore, God is not yet omnipotent. Now, the goodness of the wise creator can be inferred from the act of creation and from the fact that he cherishes and protects his creatures, that he ordains and teaches a way and method by which evil can be repelled and sin averted, and that he repels and wards off the adversary who attacks the body. It can be inferred, too, from the organs and faculties of the body, afflicted as they are, by pain and sickness, which come, which come to them from outside and which are inside the body. All animals and plants are sustained and brought to fruition and made to increase by the sustaining and nutritive power called in religion the Fadavahar, which cooperates with nature, and by the four assimilative faculties, the attractive, retentive, digestive, and excretory. Through the Creator's great wisdom, these faculties cooperate harmoniously in repelling all manner of pain and sickness brought on by the adversary who strikes at random and whose will is evil. There are other faculties, too, which cooperate. From all this, it can be concluded that the Creator wills only what is good. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. So we'll pick up where we left off. It is suffering and death that destroy the body, not the Creator whose will is good and who preserves and maintains the body. This is clearly so because a wise Creator does not regret 
nor repent of what he has done, nor does he destroy his creatures or make them no, of no effect, for he is wise and he is omniscient. It is only possible to attribute regret and repentance for what has, one has done to one whose knowledge is defective, whose reason is imperfect, and whose, who is ignorant of the final outcome, for knowing and wise persons do not commit actions without cause or occasion. Similarly, the actions of ignorant men of perverted intelligence who are ignorant of the final outcome will be haphazard without cause or occasion. But the wise creator, who will dispose wisely and act in accordance with discrimination in warding off from his creatures the adversary, whose actions are haphazard and who does not know the final outcome. He, the demon, whose actions are haphazard, is walled up and circumscribed within a trap and a snare, for it is plain that a moving and that a moving and living substance cannot be warded off or destroyed in an infinite void, nor is there any security against his harmfulness unless he is circumscribed, uprooted, and made captive. When he is circumscribed and made captive, he is susceptible to suffering and heavy chastisement. But until he is completely conscious of his suffering and fully aware that his actions are based on a wrong knowledge, he continues to have utterly false views of what has befallen him. His experience of suffering is due to the complete power of the omnipotent Creator. When one has reached full realization of what he suffers at the hands of an omnipotence, the wise Creator puts him out of action and hurls him into the infinite void. When the good creation will have then the good creation will have no fear of him, and it will be immortal and free of adversity. Perfection is the wisdom and discrimination of the omniscient creator of the good and perfect world, his foreknowledge of what needs to be done. The dissimilarity of things is proved by looking at them. Dissimilarity is of two kinds and has been stated above. One is dissimilarity in function, the other is dissimilarity in substance. Dissimilarity in function involves cooperation and likeness of faculties, but dissimilarity of substance involves incompatibility and opposition. It is obvious that substantially dissimilar things cannot coexist in one place. If all things were one, this one would be nameless, for it is only through the possession of a name that one thing can be distinguished from another. That evil is principally distinct from Good can be inferred from the fact that neither is the cause of the other. That each exists in and by its own essence is proved by the eternal antagonism and opposition between the two. If it should be objected that since there is a multiplicity of contraries, good and evil, darkness and light, fragrance and stench, life and death, sickness and health, pleasure and pain, etc., then there must also be a multiplicity and a diversity of principles. The reply is that although the contraries may go by names and be of many kinds, yet they are all subsumed under two names. And these two names, which are like a seed which comprises all the rest, are good and evil. The various names and species, apart from these, are only branches deriving from these two seeds, and nothing exists that is not included in these two names. There never has been anything, nor will but there, there be anything, which is neither good nor evil nor a mixture of the two. Thus it is abundantly clear that there are two first principles, not more, and that cannot arise 
from evil, nor evil from good. From this we must infer that what is perfect and complete in its goodness cannot produce evil. If it could, then it would not be perfect. Nor when a thing is described as perfect, there is no room for anything else in it. And then if there is no room for anything else in it, nothing else can proceed from it. If God is perfect in goodness and knowledge, plainly ignorance and evil cannot precede him. Or if it can, then he is not perfect, or cannot proceed from him. And if he is not perfect, then he should not be worshipped as God, or as perfectly good. If, on the other hand, both good and evil originate in God, then he is imperfect, so far as goodness is concerned. If he is imperfect in respect of goodness, then he is imperfect in respect of right knowledge. And if he is imperfect in respect of right knowledge, then he is imperfect in respect of reason, consciousness, knowledge, wit, and in all the faculties of knowing. And if he is imperfect in reason and consciousness and wit and knowledge, he must be imperfect in respect of health. And if he is imperfect in respect of health, he must be sick. And if he, is, and if he must be sick, then he is imperfect in respect to life. Should it be objected that a single substance like man is seen to originate from both good and evil actions, the reason is that man is not perfect in any single respect. And because he is not perfect in respect of goodness, he gives rise to evil. So too, because he is not perfect in respect to health, he is subject to sickness. And for the same reason he dies. For the cause of death is the conflict of the two contrary accidents in one substance. And where there are two contrary accidents in one substance, there are sickness and death to be observed. Should it be objected, that good and bad actions have no real existence until they are actually performed, the reply is that it is no more possible for an action to exist without an agent than it is for an accident to exist without a substance in which it can, in, in, which it can inhere. For it is acknowledged as a fact that it cannot exist in its own essence or by its own devising. So when man is angry, Bohumana, the good mind, is far from him. And when Bohumana is present within him, anger is not. And when a man tells a lie, truth is far from him. And when he speaks the truth, falsehood has no place in him. And such a man is called truthful. Similarly, when sickness attacks a man, health is not in him. And when health supervenes, sickness departs. For a substance cannot change or move, but there can be no movement except in substance. I hope you've enjoyed that. It's one of my favorite chapters. Wish to tell you, my friends, happiness and health to you.